That song that we just sang could have been inspired by this passage. Be thou my vision. In other words, Jesus, may you be what I see. May you be what I look to. I think that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to do here in this text. To keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And he uses some interesting uh, metaphors, some, some language there. He, he talks about our Christian life, this idea of pursuing Christ and living each day in terms of, of a race. Uh, let, let's read it together, and then I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more of um, how that song and this whole idea fits into our main idea for the sermon today. Chapter 12, and we're going to read the first three verses. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see how he's talking about this idea of of looking to Christ and, and, and living this life he uses this metaphor like running a race. Um, <laughs> this, this speaks to me. I, I wonder if it speaks to you. It speaks to me greatly because of my attitude towards running. You know, there, there are two kinds of people. There are people who, who, well, there's probably three. There's people who love to run. I don't know how many people are in that boat. Probably not many. You're, you're saying that's you? You're, I think you're in the minority. There are people who love to run. There are people who, who will run even though they don't necessarily love to run, but they'll do it. And then there's people like me who will do anything they can to avoid having to run. <laughs> I hate running. I, I, it doesn't mean that I don't like sports and I, I, I didn't like to be athletic and play. I mean, I could run playing basketball and things like that, but, but the idea of, of just actually jogging or running you're, with no ball, no point, just running, always... Uh, was just the, I think the worst thing you could ask me to do. Um, and I, I don't think, this is embarrassing, but it's true. I don't think I've ever in my life run a mile uninterrupted. I hate running so much. I don't think I've ever run a mile without stopping somewhere along the way and taking a break. Um, and, and one of the reasons why uh, I think that that's the case is because I don't have a very good strategy for running. And I've realized this. I, I psych myself out. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll think, well, a mile seems like a, a pretty far distance. So maybe I'll just set my sights on something a little bit closer. I'll, I'll, I'll pick a road marker or, or some kind. And I'll just look at that and I'll say, let me just run to that point. And then once I've hit that point, then I only have to do that, you know, four or five more times and then I've gotten to my mile. Um, and so what I do is I, I end up having all of these things that I'm looking at that aren't the end goal. I think I, I psych myself out because I actually distract myself. It seems like a good idea to pick some attainable goals along the way, but I think they end up, for me at least, 
being these distractions that, you know, I've, I'm looking, so if I'm looking at that pole right now and I'm knowing that that's, that's a quarter of the distance of my run, uh, it suddenly becomes the end point because it's, it's my new goal. And, and now that feels like the challenge that I'm going to give up halfway between here and there. That's the way I, I've always, uh, I've always run and I'm so poor at running. And that's why this passage speaks to me because what the author of, of Hebrews is, is telling us here is he's saying, look, the Christian life is, is a race to be run. But the goal is to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And, and to realize, and this is what he'll fill out for us here. The main idea really is this. It's look to Jesus. Uh, so you can look to Jesus. Alright? Look to Jesus so you can look to Jesus. And I, I think what he's saying is this. I've just given you this whole picture of who Christ is throughout the book of Hebrews. We've been calling that our Christology. And in Hebrews, we're talking about a, a Christology, what we've said from above. So it's, it's all of these big theological proclaimed truths about who Jesus is. Right? And he's saying, look, I've, I've just given you all this. I've been asking you, in other words, to look at Christ, to consider who he is. I want you to know about, about the nature of Christ, the person of Christ, the, the ministry of Christ for you. And the whole point of that, now we get to chapter 12, is he's saying, so then now you've, you've had this look at Jesus, it's so that you'll continue to know how to look to Jesus. You look at Jesus in order to look to Jesus. Because the goal here, as you run this race, is to always keep your eyes fixed on Him. Not getting distracted by other things. Not looking at other goals. But just keeping your eyes focused on Jesus in order to finish the race. Now that, that'll be fleshed out here as we, as we go forward. But, but I think that's the idea. You gotta, we gotta look at the right goal. We've gotta fix our eyes in the right place in order to flesh out this, this thing called the Christian life. And it, you know, we've been talking about a Christology for the last several weeks. We've been looking at Jesus. There has been application, certainly, for us along the way. But I, I feel like this is where the author of Hebrews is, is kind of landing the plane and saying, there's real application for you. In all this looking at Jesus, there's real application for you and what it means to, to how do you live the, the Christian life? How do you follow this Jesus having really understood him and looked at him and cling to him? And so that's what we're doing today. It's still, we're still in our Christology, but we're landing the plane a little bit more and saying, what does all of this mean for us and how we live accordingly? Okay. So our, our uh, sermon title this week is Jesus the founder and the perfecter of faith. That's a direct pull from this text. And that's, that's the idea. It's that, that the walk of, of the Christian life is a, is a life of faith. And it's looking at Jesus for the source of our faith, for the example of our faith, and ultimately the strength of that faith. That's what it means to, to live accordingly. So, there are, there's, there's implications for all of this Christology. There's implications. And here's, here's the main implication. We've touched on it already. But the Christian life is like running a race. It's like running a race. Again, look at verses 1 and 2. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a couple things that, that uh, actually three things that, that he wants us to pull out of these two verses. And the first one is this, recognizing that the Christian life is like running a race. The first one is that we are greatly motivated by those who have run before us. Right? That's where he started, right? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also run this race that's been set before us. The, the therefore at the beginning of the verse looks back to what was said before it, right? That's what therefores do. And what was said before was what was said in chapter 11. If you're familiar with Hebrews at all, you might know chapter 11 is often called the great hall of faith chapter, right? Kind of like hall of fame, hall of faith. Uh, and, 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 and part of that was read for us by Deanna a little bit earlier in the service. But the whole chapter is this look back at all of these significant figures from the Old Testament and, and how by faith they ran their race. They did the things that God had set before them. And hopefully again, you'll recall that the whole point of Hebrews so far has been that because of who Jesus is and because of what He's done, this, this Christology from above, that there should no longer, there's no longer a need and there should no longer be a desire for us to return to the rituals of the Old Testament, to the practices of the, of the law, that our right relationship with God comes through faith in Christ, right? It comes through faith in Christ, not through our own uh, efforts, not through our own merit or our participation in religious shadows. It's, it's, it's faith in Christ. And in chapter 11, what the author is, is demonstrating is that it's always been like that. Even though we have this, this desire sometimes and this tendency to run back to the, the rituals of the Old Testament law, uh, the, the, you know, the observance of those things, the, the merit of it all. He's saying, look, it, it was never about earning it. It's always been about faith, even with the Old Testament saints. And so chapter 11, he says, it was by faith that, that Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David, and, and all the prophets, and so on and so forth, they, they trusted. They trusted in the promises of God to accomplish their deliverance, to accomplish their salvation. They weren't trusting in their own efforts. They were trusting in promises that God had given to them. Salvation, he's saying, has is, is always been by faith. And faith is not a work, Right? Faith is not a work. It's a matter of trust in the Lord. But here's the thing. Faith, though not a work, produces works. This is really important. Faith, though not a work, produces works. And what those works are are just the outworkings of that trust. If, I, if I'm demonstrating that I have trust in the Lord that demonstration is going to take the form of some action, right? It's going to affect the way that I live. It's the, it's, it's the, the actions that it will take will be ones of, of obedience to what he said, right? To doing the things that he says, this is what it means to, to trust and to follow 
me. And those actions then demonstrate my confidence in that faith. Right? So in other words, as as Paul uses the metaphor, the faith of the Old Testament saints in chapter 11, it caused them to run their races. They did all these things by faith, but they they did things. They, they, they ran a race. They took what God set before them and they, they did something with it. Right? It often meant hardship. It often meant struggle. For some of them, as Deanna read to us earlier, it, it even meant persecution and death. Some were sawn in two, it says there at the end of Hebrews 11. They were persecuted. They were, they were martyred. Right? It, it took... It took the form of, 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 of hardship and struggle. It was not an easy race, in other words. But they ran that race, and they ran that race by faith. And so the implication for us is this. The Christian life is a life of faith, but you still got to run your race. Okay? The Christian life is a life of faith. You're, we're trusting in the promise of God through Jesus Christ to accomplish our salvation. He did it. We trust in what He did. That's faith. But you still got a race to run. And you still got to run your race. And so what the author here is saying to us is one of the great motivators, motivators for us to run that race is to look backwards and see other people have done it too. Other people have run this race. And here's the good news. They all finished. They all finished. That's what chapter 11 is about. Everybody in chapter 11, they're dead now. But they finished. They finished. So when the author says, you have this great cloud of witnesses, what he firstly means is that you've got someone to look to. You've got some concrete examples. There's, there's some place you can look. There's people's lives that you can look at for your motivation, for your path, and even for your pace. You're not the first ones to do this. They've all done it. And they, fi- and they finished. And they did it well. And they've given you an example, concrete examples to look to and to follow. Earlier this summer, my, my wife and my two oldest kids participated in the Chicago Triathlon. Um, I did too, as a spectator. <laughs> but I, I was there, and I, I was standing with them as they were at the, at the starting, um, I don't know what it was called. The, start, the first thing you do is you swim. So we're all standing on the beach, and they, and they separate all of the groups into different starting blocks. And so you've got this group of you know, 20 people that's in your starting group. And, uh, and we're standing there, and, and we all noticed that in their starting group was former Chicago Bear Charles Peanut Tillman. He was a cornerback for the Bears recently, an exceptionally good one, uh, so a, a very impressive athlete. When you're standing next to Peanut Tillman, you are pretty aware that you're standing next to a guy who played in the NFL, all right? So, so he's in their, in their starting group, and when you have someone like that in your group, and you're a novice, right? Like my wife and my, my kids are. It, that could be a little intimidating, right? Um, but I was really proud of, of my kids because Kate and Taylor both said, uh, look, our new goal 
is if, if, if Peanut Tillman's in our group, then our goal is we're going to hang with him. So if we can hang with him throughout the race, then that will be a, a measure of our own success, right? If we can finish when an NFL guy finishes, then we've done pretty well. And so that was, that was the sort of the new goal that they set for themselves. And they did it. It was awesome. Like I, I, you know, when they jumped in the water, I, I would, I was running to the different points along the way. And, and by the time they got to the last thing, which was the, the running portion, I'm standing there at the finish line. And here comes Peanut Tillman right across the line. And, and lo and behold, I look over and just a few seconds behind, here's, here's Caden Taylor. And, and they were just like, yeah, we, we saw him and we just tracked him and we followed him and they did it. It was awesome. And, and so, you know, I wonder sometimes when we read things like Hebrews chapter 11, if, if we can feel intimidated, like we're standing next to Peanut Tillman, you know, like here's the, here's the author of Hebrews telling us about Abraham and Moses and David and, and Jacob and all these, these big, larger than life saints of the Old Testament and saying, you're surrounded by these people, Sarah, who've run this race. You, you need to run that race that's set before you in the same way. And maybe we think, um, I, I can't keep up with them. I can't keep up with them. You ever feel that way? Is it intimidating to read a, a verse like chapter 12, verse 1? Therefore, since they did it, you're surrounded by them, you do it. Yeah, it could be a little intimidating, right? Um, that's not the message, though, of the passage. In other words, the author of Hebrews isn't saying, you know, compare yourself to Peanut Tillman. He's saying you can look to that example, and, and, and some of those examples are they're phenomenal examples. But the message is this, the race that was set before them is the race that's set before you, they ran it. They finished it. They had ups and they had downs. You will too, but you, you, you've been called to the same race. You've been called to run the race that's set in front of you. Now keep in mind that he says the one that's set before you. You're not called to run somebody else's race. And that's a, that's a big temptation of ours sometimes. We get often very discouraged in the Christian life when we look around at other people who are running their races and we, we think we need to run their race. God, God isn't calling you to run their race. He's calling you to run the, the race that's set in front of you. And yet, it's the same race. It's just a different path. So be faithful to what God's called you to do, right? But the message here isn't be intimidated. You can't keep up. The message here is, no, they did it, and so can you. They had, they had their path, you have your, they did it, so can you. Therefore, in other words, since they ran, let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us. So that's the first part of the motivation we get from those who've gone before us. There's a second one. And the second one is this. It's we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, right? So they've, we can look to them and know that, that they, they finished. We'll finish. We can finish. But we're also surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. So back to the, back to the illustration at the triathlon, when, when Cade and Taylor finished the race, I'm standing there on the other side of the fence where the spectators are lined up. They ran around and they joined me there. 
And then from that moment on, now they were with me sort of watching and cheering on the rest of the finishers of the race with the specific intention of, of looking for Christine, my wife. Um, she had stayed back. She would want me to tell you this. She could have kept up with them. All right. She would want me to tell you that. She's not here. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to defend her well. She had stayed back, uh, to run alongside of somebody who, who couldn't keep up. Um, and so she was, she was a few minutes behind them. Um, but our goal was to stand there and, and cheer her on and watch and wait for her to complete the race that they had just completed, right? And so when we see her coming down that, that finish line, you know, we're, we're yelling, we're cheering. Hey, you know, great job. I'm yelling, great job, babe. You can do it. You're almost there. Keep going. You're almost there, right? We acted as this, this group of spectators, uh, Kate and Taylor, of which who had already completed the race, now waiting to cheer on others who were doing the same. We were watching and waiting to celebrate with her, to celebrate with her as she came down the final stretch. And I'm going to put this up because this is cool. This is the moment. <laughs> I love this picture. She, she, she crossed the race, and when she did, she had this reaction, right? Like, and and uh this would embarrass her a little bit but but i want you to know that like this is this is i think a great image for us to keep in mind when you think about crossing the finish line of your of your life there is a there is a a a welcome if you will a cloud of witnesses of all the saints who have gone before who and your arrival across that finish line and into the into the the glory of God into heaven itself when you hear that well done good and faithful servant you're going to feel like that it's going to be a moment like that right and this idea that there, that you're you're being cheered on um, by those who have gone before i think what he he wants us to know is like yeah that's that's what i mean by this Therefore, since you've been surrounded by, by such a great crowd of witnesses, you, there, there's, there's spectators along the path. And I don't want us to get weirded out by that because I'm not, I don't think that it necessarily means that, that everyone who's ever walked, uh, the earth and, and, and in Christ and has died is, are now, uh, all they're doing is focusing on watching you. That could be a little creepy. I don't know, I don't know that they are. I, I don't know to what extent they can. Right? So I'm not sure that the point is that they're all standing there watching you. But I think the point is that for us to know that they're, that we can look to them. Like we, we can have this sense that again, they've finished the race. Others have finished the race. And we can look at that example. So when Christine's running down the finish line in this moment, it is encouraging to her to see that we're, we're standing there on the sidelines. My, my two older kids having said, we did it. We finish. You're, you're close. You'll finish too. Right? Now, there's one other interesting element of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this down because I don't want to keep her being embarrassed there. But um, One other element here that's, that's interesting. At the end of, of chapter uh, 11, um, verse 39 and 40, talking about those who had gone before, he says, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Well, what, is, what does that mean? I think, I think that relates to the therefore we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. There's, there's a sense in which 
Um, they finish the race, but the fullness of the prize, if you will, has been held back until we all get there. Right? So they're, they've, they've completed their race and they're, they're in the presence of the Lord, but there's, but the fullness, the culmination of, of all that God has in store for all of the saints of all time is something that He's reserving for the very end when it's all said and done and everyone has come across. Right? Um, and so we get that picture there as well. Like that, that's part of their, their spurring us on, if you will, is, is the sense that like until we're all in, it's not done. So you can do it. Keep going. So let me ask you this. Are you feeling weary? When I, when I say the Christian life, and, and those of you who are, who are living the Christian life, who are pursuing that, do you feel weary? Maybe now you feel weary. Maybe there's times when you can recognize that you feel weary. Like this, this life of faith is hard, and the finish line can sometimes seem so far off. It's, it's like my, me describing trying to run a mile earlier. Like that, that final marker for a mile just seems so far off. I get so distracted by the, the shorter little mile markers and, and even those make me want to quit. I mean, that last marker just seems... Do you feel like that in your Christian life? Here, here's, the, here's the encouragement here to remember it's a race. It's a race. This isn't a sprint kind of race either. It's, it's a marathon kind of race. It's your life. We're called to, to run it, but to recognize it's a race. And when you run a race, you know it's not always easy. It's not always easy. But we can be reminded that everyone who's run it before is finished. And we will too. And your experiences of difficulty, your experiences of, of drain that cause you to want to stop running are normative. They're normative. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. It's normative. In the world, you will have tribulation, Jesus says in John 16. It's normative. Right? It's normative, but keep running the race that's set before you. It can be done. So we have this motivation by looking back to those who've gone before us. But how do we actually run the race well? How do you run the race? How's it done? That's the second part. It's by laying aside, oops, sorry, that's Christine again, laying aside every weight and sin. Look what he says here again. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Why is it that we get bogged down? What is it that bogs us down? This is, I think, a really insightful thing for us to understand. We're bogged down when we set, take our eyes off of Christ and we instead focus on things that would fall into the categories of weight and sin. And there's some, there's some uh, speculation and some uh, disagreement about whether or not he's referring to two different concepts here, weight 
and sin, or if he's just using sin to describe what the weight is. Sin is the weight that bogs us down. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sort of inclined to think that they're definitely related, but not necessarily the same thing. So when I think of weight and sin, uh, I think of things that, anything that entangles. He's talking here about clothing, in a sense, right? Clothing that, that clings so closely. You get this, this picture of, of something that binds you up so that you can't run very well. Now, I know in our, in our modern era, in the, in the age of spandex, you think of running clothes as being really tight. Uh, but that's not what he has in mind here when he's talking about things that cling so closely. He's talking about more like maybe something like um, uh, trying to run in, in a long, tighter skirt with high heels, right? Not that I've ever tried that. But I can imagine, right? Um, or I, something that I, I have experienced is like if your if your if your pants fall down around your ankles while you're trying to like go answer a doorbell, you're getting out of bed like oh, and your pants fall like that, like something that just binds you up as you're trying to run. Um, that's the kind of the kind of uh, visual that 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 I get here, and I think about that in terms of of maybe a couple different categories: weight, something that's heavy baggage. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's sin that's being committed, right? But it 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 could be just something that's that's holding me down, like doubt, like fear, maybe like an anxiety that I have. Again, something where I'm t- I've taken my eyes off of Christ and I've allowed a weight to just entrap me and entangle me. Now, can that lead to sin? Yeah, in fact, it often does, right? There's a temptation there in my doubts and in my fears and in my anxieties to completely look away from Christ and to look to something else to be my security. That's where it becomes sin. It it may not start as sin, though. It may just be a weight, a temptation, right? So there's that. Um, Or maybe it's uh, it's just the idea of coasting. Um, so back to my own running experience, uh, one, one, one time when I was, I had to run a mile was in junior high school. Every, every now and again, they would make us in PE class run a mile on days when we played dodgeball. And if you didn't run the mile in under a certain time, you didn't get to play dodgeball. So it was a motivation. I was like, all right, we're going to go out and, and do this, this mile. But again, I never ran the whole thing. I would run so far. To where I knew that I had I have time somewhere in the middle to just walk for a while, you know, and I just walk until I knew that it was oh it's about that time where if I don't start running now I won't make it in time and then I'd pick up the pace and I'd get I'd always make it barely under the wire right, but that that's that's oftentimes the way we, you know, we function as Christians too right we have starts and sort of these stops where we just kind of coast for a little while. We've taken our eyes off of. The prize. We've taken our eyes off of the goal. We, we, we're not looking to Christ anymore. We may not be, be actively looking to sin, but we're just kind of coasting. I think that's weight. And then finally, he, he does mention sin straight up. Um, maybe there's blatant sin. If you're wondering why you're failing to run the race, you're getting weary and you're tired and you want to give up, there's a good chance that there is weight and sin, maybe blatant sin, that's holding you back. 
What's the remedy? Can I just offer a word that I don't think gets, gets spoken enough? Repentance. Repentance. And I think it's an important, a very important word for us to, to consider and to practice as Christians. Because we do get bogged down, down by different weights. It happens to all of us. Uh, and I think it's, it's easy for us at times to just sort of try to work through it. Like, let's just... We, we, we find ways to sort of, um, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, sort of counsel and appease our way through those, those times. And oftentimes what, what needs to be said and what needs to happen is simply, look, you need to repent. Your, your fear, your anxiety, your, um, your doubt, repent of it. It's false thinking, right? Your, 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 slackness you're coasting it's not just necessarily a matter of just pick up the pace it's probably a matter of you need to repent of that recognize it for what it is it's it you've taken your eyes off of christ that's that's sinful repent and certainly when we've committed blatant sin but I've, I've found that in pastoral counseling that oftentimes trying to work through an issue with somebody you, you just keep we keep running into dead ends where it just feels like there's no, there's no getting over the hurdle. There's no growth. And, and, and at times I've just, I've just stopped and said, you know what? I think you just need to repent. And that's where you, you suddenly see the transition like, ah, like you're right. They recognize that it's not just something that they're dealing with. It's a sin issue that needs to be repented of. It's, it's trust in Christ that needs to be given instead of trust in something else that ultimately is an idolatry. And by repentance, you see like the growth. So he's saying, look, you get bogged down by these things. And he's, he's, he's telling us here, lay them aside. That's, that's his way, I think, of saying repent. Repent. Turn away from it. Drop it. Lay it down. And then run with endurance. Um, just, just to give a, a flip side of this, that's sort of like the, the, the admonition, the negative side of this. Repent of those things that weigh us down. If, you, if you're wondering, well, what do we do instead? What does it look like to fix our eyes on Christ? Let me just uh, ask you to turn back a page or so to chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. I think it's an interesting passage here because he uses similar language here about endurance, uh, similar sort of race analogy here, but this time is a very positive example. He's commending them here. Chapter 10, verse 32, he says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured. Okay? So here's, he's, he's telling them to endure. He's saying, here's what you did do that. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. Here's what they did. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So you've got this negative example of cast off the weight and the sin that so easily entangles. If you're saying, what does it look like to do that? Here's a positive example. You know what you're doing? You've got your focus off of yourself 
And off of trying to, to sort of pad yourself, you've, you've been willing to say, I don't need the comforts and the protection of this life. In fact, my goal is to serve others in need. I want to love my neighbor. I want to love those who are in prison. I want to be merciful and compassionate to those who are in need. In other words, I want to live like Jesus has lived towards me, towards others. You see that? So it's one thing for us to say, just cast off your sin and repent. It's another thing to say, here's what it looks like to live in an enduring way, to run the race well. Are you loving others as Christ has loved you? I think that's a fantastic thing for us to consider. And I think it's no accident that he uses similar language there. So we've got these, these, um, this, this recognition that, look, the Christian life, it's a race. We're all called to run it. We get this uh, picture that you get, we've got a motivator of by looking back to those who've run before us. We run it by laying aside every weight and sin. And you say, okay, so far I'm tracking with all that. Now, now here's, here's the rub. Here's where, where we don't want to go off the rails here. It would be easy to hear the command, look, run the race. You can do it and conclude that Obeying that command and making it to the finish line, making it to glory, depends then on entirely on you. And that would be a huge mistake. And that would be to cut short what he's ultimately telling us here. He's saying, look, you're responsible to run the race. You're responsible to obey. But the author is saying the whole point of this, as you do that, is to look to Jesus. To look to Jesus. And so that third uh, point there within those first two verses is we're supremely motivated by Jesus. Again, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus. The, 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 the emphasis here is gaze at, fix your sights on to really consider Jesus that's where your focus needs to be you've got this cloud of witnesses you're called to run this race you can do this but only if you're looking at Christ only if you're looking at Christ and when we look at Christ which we've been doing throughout this whole Christology going through the book of Hebrews what do we see we see the one who is the founder and the per- and the perfecter of faith which has, a, I think there's a couple, there's a couple different angles that we can look at that from. First of all, we just talked about all of these Old Testament saints who've already run and finished the race. And what the author wants us to understand was, again, that was by faith. Faith in who? In Jesus. Jesus was the founder of their faith. They didn't know that. They didn't understand what you know. They, they were, they were waiting for the, the full revelation of that. That's why they're still waiting for us to come in because it, it's not until in Jesus all of the church is gathered that they'll fully see and realize that it was Jesus all along. But it was Jesus all along. He's the founder of faith. And He's the perfecter of faith. He not only gives us the faith, but He demonstrates for us that faith perfectly. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. He perfectly trusted the Father. Everything He did was in full dependence upon the Father. So much so that He lived the sinless life. 
And he endured. He suffered even to the point of death on the cross. He despised the shame, right? He, he endured the hostility of sinners all the way to the end. And he finished. And I love, I love the, the way that he ends, the author here ends this verse in talking about the, 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 the perfection of the faith of Jesus. He reminds us that that same Jesus has the priestly function for us. He says, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, remember that this Jesus who founded your faith and who perfected faith is the Jesus whose faith and his perfection belong to you by your faith in him because he's seated at the right hand. The priest is in heaven declaring his effective work for you is finished. That's the best part of this whole verse, right? You can, you've got a race to run. You can do it. You can look back to those who've done it. Jesus is the, is the, is the ultimate founder of that faith. He perfected it. We can look to him. But the best news of all is that Jesus' race run counts for you. So you still got to run your race. He's setting a race before you, but you're, the race that you're running is a race of obedience and response to a race that he's already won. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, declaring that victory over you all the time. I love that. So yeah, you got a race to run, but don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. That's the application. Look to Jesus and press on. Consider Him, verse 3 who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I'm going to ask it again. Are you weary? Are you weary? The beautiful message of not just this passage, but of the whole Christology that we've been looking at is that for, for, for the weary for the faint-hearted, for the sinner, for the sick, for all of us, God has sent His Son. And His Son is the perfect revelation of the Father. His Son is the King. His Son is the Creator. His Son is the Sustainer. His Son is the perfect prophet who speaks the, the, word, the very words of God to us and reveals to us truth. His son is the perfect priest who, whose, whose own offering, his own sin offering to the Father was his perfect life that was a once and for all offering that, that doesn't have to be repeated because Jesus offered it and lives forever as our priest. And again, he's the, he's the king. He's the one who, who has conquered sin and death forever, and will return to establish the kingdom of God forever. And by faith, all of us who've trusted in him are a part of that. The victory's been had. We have it. And so here he's saying, look, if all that's true, and it is, then, then know this. Your life, it's a race. Run it. But... Rest as you run. 
Run it. But rest as you run. Don't just rest. Run. But don't just run. Rest. He's saying this, this, this race that you have and the weariness and the, and the far off finish line, that's all, that's all understandable and it's all true. But, but to look to Jesus is, is, to, is to truly believe not only that Jesus is at the end of that line, but that he's running with you now. And he carries you through that. Right? And, and, and yet he does that in such a way where your feet don't leave the ground. Like he still wants you to run. But, but he's your strength. He's your confidence. He's your hope. And, and all that comes because you know that at the end of the day, he is the victory and you already have it. So run. And run well. And if there's sin and there's weight, repent of it. And turn your eyes to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. Father, thank you for your word that you speak to our, our hearts right where we're at. Lord, I, I would confess that this life is difficult. That the race that you've set before me is, is, is hard. It's tiring. And I confess that I know that I'm not alone. That that's true for all of us. But Lord, would you, would you forgive us for either running without rest or resting without running? Would you, Lord, just continually encourage us with the truths that we've looked at this morning, that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our strength. He's, he's, he's run the race, he's perfected it, and he runs with us. And give us that, that yes, that hope of knowing that Everyone in Christ, everyone who runs by faith has finished. And we will too. Give us that encouragement, especially if we hit the street tomorrow morning on a Monday and, and it just feels so bogged down. Lord, just encourage us. We've got a race to run and we're going to finish it. And that Jesus is the reason. So Lord, help us to, to consider Him. Help us to run with endurance. Help us to run with the joy set before us as Jesus did, that we know there is, there's, there's glory, there's, there's redemption, there's victory. Would you encourage my brothers and sisters, would you encourage me this week to look to Christ? It's in His name that we pray. Amen.